event organizers. Get ready to level up. To level up. You're listening to the Event Academy Live podcast, where we elevate motivated event organizers. This podcast is brought to you by Fusion. All the event ticketing features and support you need for one low price. Check them out at GetFusionSolutions.com. Now, it's time for your host, Jake Spurley. Hey there, welcome back to this week's episode of Event Academy Live. I've got a guy that I should have just went and saw in person because I was in Denver just a few hours ago. I have Scott Stoller from the Colorado State Fair. What's funny is it sounds like he got his start here in Oregon where I live and he traveled over to Colorado. So he's kind of a hometown native to where I live. Super excited about super excited to have him on this week's episode of the Academy Live. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. And, and I will argue with you. I, I, I know you'll have your bias, but I'm pretty sure the Benton County Fair uh, and Corvallis is the, the, the best looking fairgrounds and coolest fairgrounds in the state. So just, Yeah, just we can, we can, uh, we can have that debate off camera. I mean, you know, looks are uh, definitely arbitrary, I guess, I guess you will, but, uh, no, it's funny. It's, you know, when we were looking back, it's, you know, we kind of got started in relatively the same, the same state, kind of the same fair vibe, you know, every region's fairs are a little bit different. They have their own vibes and, you know, Scott got to start down at the Benton County fair. I got mine at the Columbia County fair. They're about an hour and a half, two hours away, but very similar vibes, very similar, I would say, attendance demographics, um, very similar in kind of their budgets and how they operate things, fairgrounds, the whole thing. So pretty interesting to have you on the show. Super excited. Scott, for somebody that doesn't know you or doesn't know the Colorado State Fair, I guess just get them up to speed. Who I am? Uh, shoot, I'm I'm uh, just a guy in Colorado. <laughs> no. uh, so I started off, my family here, um, they were concessionaires. Uh, which is, you know, um, an interesting thing to be in the position I am, but uh, in, a, in a different uh, cousin industry, uh, they were concessionaires in a state historic park in California. Uh, they had a stagecoach and a horseback riding concession, uh, which really, uh, growing up, I got the, the perspective of being the vendor at a fair and also uh, seeing uh, a tourist town and, and kind of the parallels between that and fairs when, you know, we are dealing with patrons, which not always tourists, so some of them were like staycation tourists or whatnot, but uh, you know, my family also had an ag background in a cattle ranch, and uh, so I had an ag, ag tie there. Uh, went to college in Chico, California, which uh, came back there later in my career um, in ag business, and uh, just found an internship uh, through Chico State uh, in fair management, and it turned into my first job in Corvallis, Oregon in 2006 as the fair manager um, after four years of doing uh, before gig work was gig work, uh, doing uh, gig jobs at about 10 different fairs a year uh, in different capacities from concession auditing to uh, setting up exhibits to running the, the money room uh, and various other tasks uh, in, in many capacities. And I, uh, hopefully some of your uh, vendor friends will appreciate this. I uh, also um, would work a few fairs a year uh, on the register at some busier fairs on, on busier weekends just to get that perspective uh, too. And then uh, after four fairs in Corvallis, Oregon, which I do have to say, Corvallis, Oregon has the coolest food area. It's uh, if you haven't been to that fairgrounds, they have a, about a six-acre oak grove, and all the food stands line up facing the oak grove, and the food court is under the canopy of the oak trees. So I don't know how to reproduce that at another fairgrounds, but that is one of the coolest features of any fairgrounds I've seen. Um, and then so going back to <laughs> my story, I uh, ended up in Chico as the fair manager in 2009. Uh, I was there for nine years and then 2018 I 
um, saw the opportunity in the Colorado State Fair and, you know, kind of wanted to take my career to the that next level, um, managing a state fair and uh, getting to be a, a few hours closer to my, my brother in Nebraska and his family. Uh, so, uh, and then I've been here, I just finished my fifth fair here in, in Pueblo, Colorado, and uh, all three fairs that I've worked at as the manager have been different, uh, but similar. And uh, I would say all three of them have given me uh, different experiences and different ideas and exposure to different ways to do things. And uh, I will say this, the biggest takeaway is uh, there might be a lot of wrong ways to do things, but there's no right way to get things done. So if somebody is doing something different than you do it, doing it and they're seeing success, you may want to watch to see what they're doing because you, you might find an efficiency uh, from what they're doing. Right. And I think it's super interesting. We both have the background coming from the concessionaire side that I think is very underrated and that it, it just gives you a whole different perspective on fairs, but events in general too, right? Concessionaires are arguably some of the you know largest front lines to our attendees. They're the ones interacting constantly. You know, you see you see event ops from a completely different perspective from the other side, you know, with concessionaires moving in, out, you know, line efficiencies. It's so, so interesting. So I'm sure that's that's also helped you with kind of your position now, I assume, right? Uh, you know, and I'd say that and showing livestock, I think both those perspectives have helped me uh, at least empathize. You know, I'm not always going to uh, tilt favor towards concessionaires or livestock exhibitors, but at least I can understand their perspective on their, if they have concerns. Um, and I can, I will say this, I can tell when they're having a good day, <laughs> you know, and I, and I like right. to, you know, go congratulate them if, you know, if we just had a killer day at the fair and, uh, you know, the, the vendors are there on the slow days. It's nice, nice after a really busy day to, to go, uh, go, go share in their success because it is a joint success. Uh, and same thing with the livestock exhibitors, you know, there's, there's, there's good days and bad days and just understanding those and trying to make things a little bit better. Um, not to say that that's a guarantee, you know, at some point we're self-sufficient and, uh, you know, we, we have our own, um, we all have our own, um, goals and objectives that we're trying to achieve um, at, at our event, but there's definitely a lot of common area where, where we can work together to, to make things better for both. Right. And you, you said something interesting earlier, Scott, that there is no, there's a bunch of wrong ways to do things, but there isn't necessarily a right way to do things. Or if maybe there there is, I've been doing this for 16 years. If there's the right way, I'm doing it wrong because I don't know the right way still. <laughs> and, and But I think that's such an important thing that I need event organizers to understand. I would just film another podcast, I think comes out um, soon. And she said, keep, oh, who was, who was um, Kim from the uh, Del Norte County Fair in California. And she said, look, keep 80% of what you're doing, change 20, right? Incremental change, small change, 20%. <clears throat> and that constant change is gonna keep constantly pushing the envelope of trying to find better ways to do things, mixing things up, maybe hitting the jackpot that now every fair around you is like, oh, Scott did that right at the Colorado State Fair, let's try that. And it's 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 so funny. We every fair wants to be unique and different and you know the best thing since sliced bread. But yet we always we seem to fail to recognize that why are we reinventing the wheel? Like if Scott's doing it right, why don't we just do what Scott's doing? Because at the end of the day, we're all individual county fairs. Yes, we might be close. Yes, you can call each other competition. But you guys all have, even with events, you guys all have your little niche market, right? There's room to take what's working well and to just copy the same thing. Like like Henry Ford invented a great car. Yeah, yeah. What everybody else I, do, I, they copy it. 
I would say I agree with that to, to an extent, especially on logistics and operations, on programming and uh, facilities. Uh, we do need to have our own personalities a little bit. And, and I kind of think back to when I was in Corvallis, we were doing our master plan and we were like, what do we do? What do we want our facility to be the rest of the year? You know, because there's the fair and, you know, then we have our year round rentals. And um, sometimes we don't look too far from home to try and uh, find something that's uh, working well. So we noticed the fairgrounds in Lynn County, which was 20 minutes away, had a really nice horse facility. Uh, the Polk uh, County Fair had a really nice little RV business that they were doing with RV rallies. And we're like, let's do those. And it's like, maybe we should look a little farther away so we're not not uh, chopping our neighbors and partners, you know, because of the fair industry, you know, we need to, the fairgrounds need to work together too. So it's like, maybe we should look five counties over here <laughs> to see what we should be copying. Not copying, but, you know, we don't want to, uh, we want, we still want to have our personalities and our charm and we don't want to look identical to the neighbor because, you know, if I have the same entertainment lineup as a fair 20 minutes away, yeah. people are going to be like, what the heck is this? I could just, I could have stayed home. You want to have a little bit of uh, uniqueness, but to your point, there's a lot of really good ideas uh in the fair industry that aren't aren't that front facing piece that really can make things uh, more efficient and uh you know make it easier for everybody and shared knowledge is is power because if you're able to pick up the phone and ask somebody you know what, what what's your process for doing this you know we're doing it this way and you can kind of come with a better solution for both of you that's that's a huge win yeah i, th I think in i think i wrote a linkedin post recently that said like 200 miles away look at events similar to yours 200 miles away. So it is far enough away, but it's still kind of the same vibe. And you brought up another great point, Scott. Don't be afraid to ask. Like just, I think in, I've definitely been keen on this. If I see somebody that is doing what I want to do, instead of just trying to guess, I just called them up, hey, I want to do what you're doing. How'd you get there? You know, everybody, for the most part, I'm not gonna speak for everybody because some people are just buttheads, but people like to help, right? People just want to help you and they're always willing to lend a hand just call them up like if you like what scott's doing call them up like hey how did you do this like i guarantee just asking somebody for help or just for 60 seconds on explaining how they did something they're going to be willing to do it and it's so amazing how far you can go by one not reinventing the wheel and two just asking for help i you know you triggered a thought of mine on perspective uh because perspective is sometimes not accurate uh I went to college at Chico State and I graduated in 02. And the first fairs I worked at was 2001. And 2002, I kind of got to know the industry and got to know who who the people in the industry were that were a big deal. And everybody, when you're cracking into somebody, some industry or anything new, you're, you feel like a nobody and you see the people who are having success. And you're kind of, I was scared to approach some people and I probably didn't approach some people just because I was, like I said, 21 years ago was a nobody. And you know, I tried to because I was ambitious and interested and had, had a passion for that industry, this industry. And, um, you know, over time, you know, I got to know more and more people. And I at, at some point I now look and realize that I'm probably one of those people that's more successful in the industry. I don't feel it and I don't I don't think that way. Uh, but perspective, somebody who's where I was in 2001 or 2002 may look at me as somebody who is not approachable and uh, concerned you know doesn't think it's right to ask me questions or something like that and I, I still feel like the same person i was in 2001 <laughs> you know like <laughs> trying to see more information so my perspective uh hasn't changed much on you know trying to gain knowledge learn about people uh but new people you know people that are graduating college in 21 or 22 that have an interest for the industry may look at people like me and think that 
that we don't have time for them, that they're not significant in the industry. And I would let them know my perspective is I was that person and I still feel that way in, in some regards. So to your point, don't be scared uh, to, to go over and talk to somebody and pick their brain, introduce yourself, uh, you know, make yourself known and, and ask for information. You know, there's, there's a lot of different people out there that are passionate about this industry and would love to, to share uh, share that with other people and help bring up that next generation. Shoot your shot. The worst that they can do is a not reply to you or b say no. And if they say no, who cares? Try again. If a they say no to you, just just in your mind, they're a jerk, and that's okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, hey, everybody, candidly, I think I had to ask Scott like three times if he'd be a guest on this podcast. And persistence wears down resistance. Did you really? Ask, I, hey, I will tell you this: if you did ask me multiple times, it's probably because I'm not the best <laughs> at social media. I I do have a LinkedIn. I do have a Facebook. I don't think I have Twitter anymore. I I have a Snapchat, but I don't think I've accessed it in probably eight years. Uh, so I I don't and on my telephone I have none of that. Everything's on a desktop, so I I log into those every now and again. So uh, that's healthy. Yeah, I'm not that old. But I guess I wasn't when I started. It slowly happens. Uh, yeah. But uh, email is uh, sometimes best. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit, Scott. Let's talk about this year's fair. Run through. The numbers, I know when I was talking to Kim at Del Norte, she broke attendance records. How did the fair go this year? Any any big takeaways that maybe maybe another event organizer could learn from? Um, so I would say um, the West Coast fairs are probably a year behind uh, us here in Colorado and the fact that COVID restrictions um, kind of eased up on us in 2021. So we experienced that uh, new again feeling last year. Uh, 2021 was our, our comeback year and uh, I will say it's good to be the state fair because last year going into the fair, the governor's office gave us uh, full access to the state health officials office and the epidemiologists. And uh, we worked through and we had amazing plans, um, which a unique resource. <laughs> and, I, and, and there's no yeah. secret there's blue states and there's red states and blue states were a little slower to loosen up. And we're a blue state that uh, was a little more ambitious and returning to normal. And uh, last year we did, we smashed records. Our carnival revenue was up 50%. Uh, our gate revenue, uh, I, I don't know, it was one of, well, the dollar wise, it was our biggest uh, had been. We did actually see attendance down a little bit last year uh, because um, the vendors didn't have, you know, we count all attendance. So we're 11 day fair. So our vendors, uh, we had less vendors. Uh, the vendors we did have had less staff. Um, just because a couple of things, labor labor shortage, supply chain issues, um, you know, a vendor, it's not going to buy a space if they don't have a product to sell. Uh, right. So, you know, we, we had the same vendors, but the guy that had 10 booths might only have five booths or the guy that had three booths, um, he only had, had one, the person that had a 20 foot frontage dropped down to a 10 foot frontage, those type of things. Um, so uh, commercial space was definitely down. Our food uh, revenue last year, was up, but it wasn't as up as much as it could for the same reason. We still had the same number of stands, um, but they didn't have the same number of registers. So our lines were just through, you know, and I'm sure people that did events last year experienced this. They just couldn't find help. Uh, so we, I mean, there was lines to get in line. <laughs> it, was, it was insane. And I mean, the person who actually did the best last year was the carnival because uh, he had switched to a complete uh, cashless system uh, with kiosks and a customer service window. So he was able to, and I don't want to be too greedy about this, but he was able to capture all the dollars that were there. So while food was only up like 25% last year, the carnival was up 50%. 
uh, because people that wanted it had the kiosk to go to and um, you know, they were able to, to get, get through and get on their ride. Then the carnival has labor shortage issues too. I mean, they're not getting their visas, uh, which affects the food vendors also uh, to, to some extent on the bigger, bigger operations out there. And um, this year uh, staffing was better um, for the food vendors and commercial vendors are back to normal uh, carnival uh, same level. They actually improved the number of kiosks in that experience. And uh, I'll let the folks on the West Coast know that uh, the, the second year back to new uh, is, is not so bad because we were, Carnival was up like $60,000 over last year. Last year was the first year we cracked a $2 million ride gross. So $60,000 is, it's not a huge shift. It's, it's a little bit above flat. Um, food gross was up 15% from last year. Uh, I attribute that to two things. One, they had more staff to get the lines through and uh, food costs have gone up. So, uh, you know, obviously that, <laughs> that's going to increase your, your gross. Our attendance was about flat, which was, uh, you know, we were a hair up. Uh, so coming off an exceptional year, uh, we matched it this year and beat it a little bit, which which is good. That's, you can't, uh, going back to 19, which you can't look at 20, uh, 19 uh, was a, good, a great year for us. And we kicked its butt in 21. And this year we kicked its butt again. We, <laughs> so we can't complain. Yeah, that's awesome. And you you mentioned something interesting in that the carnival went cashless. And it's funny when I'm that's I mean, it's another solution we have at Fusion. But it's funny. It's, it's cool to see somebody talk about it in the real world of, hey, they had a cashless solution, and it really helped just because it does speed up lines, you know, especially when you're, I mean, like you said, you don't have staff. It just reduces and lines. It's quicker. To be honest, carnivals have always been cashless. I, I don't know the last time anybody walked up to a carnival ride and gave the ride operator money. You always had to go to a window and buy uh, coupons or a wristband. Uh, but they've definitely fully integrated and to where there's automation now, to where you get, you know, the RFID uh, cards and chips and and right. they've cut their costs. And now the the games, which you used to walk up to a game with with a dollar or five dollars to play the game and now that's you have to have a card, which is uh, from a vendor perspective, I think it's a good thing because uh, I hear I hear stories about people quitting that have been <laughs> working in the carnival for years, and as soon as you go cashless, uh, the, there's a little less, uh, I guess, side pay. I don't know the right word for that. <laughs> you know, some of the less honest people uh, go away in a cashless system. Right. Yeah, it's shocking. It, it it's funny when I when I talk about when I talk vendors with some folks too. Uh, for events that are like a flat concessionaires or just a flat rate, like you pay 500 bucks and you sell however much food. And they're, they're worried about going to commission-based structure. It's like, you're going to lose some vendors. And those are the, those are the dishonest vendors that you don't want at your fair or at your event, whatever it is, because they're the ones that's, you know, they're greedy about it. They don't want to tell you the honest numbers. Or when you get an auditor in there, they get all scared. Well, why do we have an auditor? Because now, now they're all scared. Well, um, the honest vendors, should be appreciate a percentage fair because a lot of percentage fairs do have an auditor and the person operating the, the stand and employing the, the people that are in the registers don't always have the chance to watch those folks you know they have to go get supplies they have to make sure the kitchen's going uh the auditor is like a free second set of eyes <laughs> you know if you have an employee stealing from you uh the you go on percentage you kind of get that assistance and making sure if you do have a thief working for you they're gonna help kind of flush that out and make you some more money because uh, if if somebody that's been with you for years that works to register that's stealing from you goes away and you're replacing with somebody new and you're not getting stolen that's that's money in your pocket 
free cash right there. What was the biggest, I guess, what, what was your biggest learning, learning experience or learning takeaway from this year's fair that, that maybe a different fair organizer or just a different event organizer could take away and say, ah, maybe I should think about that. Uh, you know, I, the cashless thing, it, that's the dance right now. You know, the, um, there's people that are still COVID cautious and appreciate the, the kind of the touchless purchasing, whether it's through mobile platforms uh, or going to a window and we're in a weird place. I don't know. I don't know the answer because, you know, they have the self-service like the carnival has, but um, you put those side by side, people are going to go to the window still. So it's, you know, it's, where is the, you know, do we force people to go full cashless or, or not? I mean, I, you got to also think about the customer's perspective. If they don't like it, they're just going to vote by not showing up. So it's like the, that customer service level versus the convenience piece and that balance um, and, and having both options and how long do you have both options before they disappear? And you look at the credit card industry or the ATM industry, there's more people that don't have cash in their wallet today than, than before COVID, but there's still people that don't even have a pin number for their ATM card. Um, so, it's, and you don't want to ignore a percentage if you lose five percent of your demographic that's a that's a hit and that five percent may be the one that's paying the bill for the family to come into the fair um so yeah i don't know it's the, it's i don't know the answer to the one that I, <laughs> i'm still trying to figure that answer out uh yeah and, and uh, the carnival does work because you know there is a customer service window there for folks that are struggling with it and uh, they always have been cashless so it's not a new model it's just a new way of doing that model they still take cash they take credit card um they just have that interactive kiosk um but go to mcdonald's that's all cashless um some people are freaked out and they'll get back in their car and go through the drive-thru because they just don't want to they don't want to deal with the nobody at the counter situation so uh, but they still have the drive-thru as an option you know it's it's uh yeah i don't know that's if you could tell me the answer i'd love to know it <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think everybody would and you know it's something that's ever it's always going to be changing i think you brought up a good point of cashless which introduces new technology and we could easily talk about new technology that's out there different products different things to you know i think i was talking with kim at del nort of when you have labor shortages what tools can you acquire to help make up for that you know if you're down a whole person is, is there a tool that can replace or create efficiencies to kind of replace that person being gone what i guess walk me through for, for somebody that uses zero tech I guess, are there any specific tools or things that, that really make your life easier? Uh, I'd say resources on that labor shortage issue. Um, we forget the food vendors and the lines and whatnot. We couldn't get jan janitorial staff last year. On our busiest day of the fair, we'll get about 65,000 people here. And on our busiest day, we had two of those days last year where we were over 65,000 people. And we had three women on our janitorial staff. And one of them was the head of our operations department. And we have a lot more than three restrooms <laughs> on our right. playground. Uh, and, you know, we knew that was an issue. So one thing we we did, we learned, we know it was very clear from our debrief process last year that it was an issue. So uh, we sought out an external partner to bring in as a resource. And uh, we used a janitorial company that does uh, events across the country to come in. There was They brought in five uh, leads um, that came in from their company. And then they hired a local crew and ran that crew. and. Um, you know, don't be scared to find resources because, you know, there's a little bit more cost, but going back to that customer experience, I mean, you, you got to spend money to, to um, make a quality experience for, for folks so they come back 
uh, to your event and have a positive uh, positive experience and they also say positive things to their friends and family because you can't change that marketing <laughs> you know once somebody has a negative experience they're gonna tell everybody that that it's a negative place so uh that, that was definitely a huge lesson learned from last year um you know it's not a tool but it's more of a resource you know reaching out and finding those industry experts that can come in uh and help you with an area where you're having having a hard time yeah and I, I, you, you brought up a good point i was kind of we're, we're wrapping this thing up scott is you have to think about the consumer experience right like when you're looking at either cuts or shifting things like the consumer has to be the heart of every single decision because if if it's going to negatively affect the consumer experience or it's not going to positively affect the consumer experience why are you doing it why are you even considering it right at the end of the day our demographic and our our target customers are constantly changing you know the customers that we had 20 years ago are now shifting away at the heart of every decision is this going to make my customer happy or is it going to make their experience worse if it's going to make their experience worse off the table i can't tell you how nice a clean bathroom is i mean seriously I cannot tell you how nice just a clean bathroom is. And it's just those small little things, right? It's every, even small inconveniences, like a dirty bathroom, maybe a long line, or maybe you don't have corn dogs that day. Three small inconveniences creates a larger inconvenience and a larger um, poor consumer experience that that taste is gonna be in their mouth. They're gonna say, hey, how was Colorado State Fair? Oh, well, you know, the bathrooms were dirty. They didn't have corn dogs that day and the lines were long. Well, now that's gonna, you know, you, you tell one one person it's going to spread a 10, then 100, and it goes down and down the line. So super interesting thought there, Scott. As we wrap this thing up, I guess, is there just anything that you wish you would have known or just a nugget of advice that you would like to tell or educate the average event organizer on, or maybe yourself 20 years ago when you just got started? I, I would just say it's been a common theme. And if you ever feel like you've, Done everything right it's time for you to stop because you're done so stay curious you know the you know keep learning keep uh keep tweaking uh kim's point on the 80 20 rule i mean always look at, look for things to improve uh be careful though don't change 100 because you'll just bury yourself uh but yeah no always be looking for that 20 percent you want to change each year uh and and do make change well because if you do bad at change that's that's not good either <laughs> you want to make sure you pick the right things and really stick with them uh, but the, stay curious. I mean, that's the, uh, if you're no longer curious about this industry, um, I, I don't want to tell you that it's time to move on, but uh, it might be time to move on. <laughs> move on. Get out of here. That's good. Scott, I just want to say thank you again for joining us today. I think the average event organizer or any event organizer, fair organizer, rodeo, it doesn't matter. If you are in events and you're running events, you have got some massive value from Scott Stoller here from the Colorado State Fair. So Scott, Thank you again just for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. And uh, like I said, stay curious. That may be my new catchphrase. Just made it up, but I'm going with it. <laughs> Scott Stoller, stay curious. Thanks, everybody, again for listening to this week's episode of Event Academy Live. Thank you for listening to the Event Academy Live podcast. This show is powered by Fusion. Event solutions for the modern event organizer. Don't forget to like, rate, and review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Until next week, keep leveling up, fellow event organizers.